Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Grow To Be Free podcast. I'm your host, Kiani, and I am here with a longtime friend. His name is Fong Vo, and Fong is the founder and CEO of Fong Vo Media and the host of the Fong Vo Show. He's a longtime friend of mine, and in my opinion, he has a very robust and interesting and successful work experience, plus one of the most positive attitudes that I've come to see in my lifetime. So everybody, welcome Fong to the podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to spend some time with you. And also, hopefully the message, anything resonates with your audience. Absolutely. Yeah. And Fong, this is a fun fact, but you are the second man to be on this podcast. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's funny. Yeah, I'm happy to be on. I'm happy to be number two. Yeah, yeah. Congrats on that, because it's very rare for us to have a man on the podcast. But I think you have a lot to offer in terms of your journey and your positive mindset. And I think there's also some um, very um, interesting business things that you can bring to the table as well. Um, Mm -hmm. For for everybody that doesn't know, um, me and Fong know each other because we actually ran painting businesses side by side (laughs) in college as an internship. I know that sounds absolutely crazy, (laughs) which at the time it was, but um, we're we're both very ambitious people. So knowing that y'all are some ambitious women, I think Fong has some really... um, incredible things to share. So I kind of want to start off, Fong, uh, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, about what you do, and what you're excited about these days. Yeah, so um, I actually quit my job last week. So I was working at a place, uh, a a company called Happy Neighborhood Project. So I was working there for four and a half years. Before that, right after I graduated from college and uh, doing the internship, I you know, Keanu mentioned I was, I worked at a startup accelerator. So for those of you who don't know what a startup accelerator is, it's basically a company that helps other startups achieve a few years of growth within a few months. So we did that through sales teams, marketing teams, and uh, venture capital investors that would invest, you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars into these companies. So that was a great learning experience because, you know, I wanted to really, I knew, always knew I wanted to run my own business eventually. And so what other better way to see all these other startups and learn from these startup companies um, and see what they did to really grow their business and just work alongside them. So did that for about a year and then, um, yeah, worked at Happy Neighborhood Project for four and a half years. And now I'm doing uh, my own business, uh, Fongbo Media, where I help, you know, businesses with their social media marketing. So about a year and a half in, you know, it's kind of doing it alongside like, you know, my jobs, I was doing both full-time work and, you know, full-time business. And now I just feel like instead of splitting my focus, just focus solely on my business. Um, and then, yeah, super excited about like, oh man, there's so many things to be excited about. AI is really interesting. Artificial intelligence is going to be fun. Um, I think society, like, I think as a society, we're starting to get a lot of things like, you know, we just talked about in the last podcast, mental health and you know, the importance of like, you know, recognizing problems in our society and tackling the problems, you know, like not turning a blind eye to it. Of course, there's going to be a lot more problems that we need to solve. But um, yeah, I'm very optimistic about the future. I know as human beings, we always figure out a way to get things done, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. AI is developing so quickly. It's, mm-hmm. it's really crazy to see that happen in front of our eyes. This is just a fun question. But what 
AI use case are you most excited about or something that you're really interested in? Hmm. I think AI, so right now, all I've, you know, really experimented with is ChatGPT. I'm mm -hmm. sure you've heard of ChatGPT using that, which is really interesting and the capabilities of that. Um, what I'm super excited about is using AI for medicine and helping people, um, you know, like I, I think I saw something AI detecting cancer, you know, AI detecting like diseases before you even get it. That would be super interesting, like wearing maybe like a monitor or something that just detects you know, like if you're going to have a heart attack and when you're going to have a heart attack by, you know, like, um, or a stroke, you know, like technologies like that, where we can improve health and well-being. Um, that, that is something that I'm really excited by. And I think um, is, is going to help society uh, as a whole, you know, like at, at scale. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I feel like we don't talk about that enough because you're right. We totally can use AI for the medical sense. And mm -hmm. I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, yeah, yeah. I've, been, I've been really obsessed with like longevity uh, for the by about a year and a half, like learning from. So I kind of went down this longevity rabbit hole. Right. So like I was listening to Joe Rogan Experience podcast and he had this a Harvard professor, Harvard scientist named uh, David Sinclair, and he has his own podcast called Lifespan. So he's like the leading, you know, um, thought, you know, leading expert once it comes to longevity. And so I was kind of curious, I'm like, huh, what are some things that I can do in my life to like increase my longevity? And he's talking about how humans can live to like 150 years, you know, that would be <laughs> really cool, you know, like figuring out what you can do now to really, um, you know, uh, live to like, you know, another 50 years past 100. So yeah, and then I went down the rabbit hole, finding other longevity scientists, and then um, starting to learn things I can do right now to increase my, you know, lifespan. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of, and, and then they started talking about AI. And I was really interested in that and how like, some of the technologies are helping people, you know, discover cancer really young and, um, and like, you know, comorbidities, all those things. So mm. pretty excited about that. That's nice. That's a good positive rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a health nut, you know. Like I've been, uh, you know, I started weightlifting when I was eight, seventeen. Yeah, seventeen. I started weightlifting. Now I'm 27, so um, yeah, going on close to 10 years now. You know, weightlifting. I mean, of course, like on and off. You know, like um, there's been periods where I don't work out for like a month or two months, but probably the past few years I've been super consistent, you know, three to five times a week um, mm -hmm. and weightlifting. But uh, yeah, so like natural health, not like the next thing after weightlifting and bodybuilding is like, you know, how can I live longer? So that just appealed to me. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you have you seen any either overlap or things that conflict between being a weightlifter and longevity? Mm -hmm. I think that, that can oh, yeah. be very debatable. <laughs> these oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So like, um, you know, with bodybuilding, like you hear it all the time, like you need to build muscle, you need protein. Right. And so, you know, like a rule of thumb is like, you need around one gram of protein per body weight to build uh, muscle. I mean, if you want to get super technical is 0.82 uh, grams of protein. That's all you need per body, a uh, pound of body weight. Um, as far as like how much protein you need. So, so like, let's say you, you weigh 100, 
50 pounds and to make it easy it's like you need 150 grams of protein right mm -hmm. so that's a lot of protein and then once i started listening to the longevity people you know these scientists they're like hey uh you don't want to be consuming too much protein because that could actually decrease your lifespan wow. so i was like huh so now i gotta you know like balance it like i don't want now i you know i started cutting down my protein because i want to live longer but I also want to look good and build muscle. So like, you know, there's that fine balance. So, um, so I kind of like range towards lower end of how much protein I need, but it's still enough to like build muscle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's one thing that kind of conflicts. Um, what else? Big uh, one. Yeah, that's a huge one, but all the other ones seem to be aligned, you know, like, uh, you know, like working out, having resistance training, you know, um, having cardio, you know, working on your cardio and your VO2 max, you know, things like that. Um, you know, sleep, sleep is important, you know, for both longevity and muscle recovery. So like, I feel like most of it aligns, but the key area is, uh, would be diet, you know, that protein that I was talking about. Got it. Well, that's good mm -hmm. to know. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I had no idea it's even possible for humans to live to 150. My great grandma lived to be 106. Really? So that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I think wow. part of it is genetic, but she also ate a lot of fish in the Philippines mm. and mm -hmm. drank a lot of Ensure. You know that? Um, sure. What is Ensure? Ensure is like this. Honestly, I don't really know what's in it, to be honest, but it's basically like this shake slash like drink that mostly old people will drink to get like all of the nutrients that they need that they might be huh. deficient in. Um, mm -hmm. But truth be told, I don't know exactly what's in it, but she she drank that a lot and ate fish. Oh, <laughs> so really? Yeah. Yeah, I know fish is one of the things that uh, the longevity scientists said that's good to eat fish, um, they actually said to limit the amount of meat if you want to live longer. I mean, you can have some meat, but just not overdo it. So I thought that was interesting. But yeah, I need to really eat more fish. I just hate preparing it because, you know, it's stinky and like, um, <laughs> you know, it takes some time to prepare it like fresh, you know, like wild caught and stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, so are you Filip you're a Filipino? You're uh, mm -hmm. full Filipino? No, half. Yeah. So okay. my, my mom's side is Filipino and then my dad's side is, is white. So I'm mestiza is what okay. they, they like to call it. Yeah. Nice. Do you feel like you resonate more towards the Filipino side or the white side <laughs> or white? Side? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say neither in a way. Like I, I'm kind of just Californian. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Honestly, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm just I'm a very like California girl vibe. Um, but I would say it's interesting that my my dad is white. And so like a lot of white people will think that I'm like, Asian, like they're mm -hmm. like, Oh, yeah, like, you're really Asian. Mm -hmm. And then I'll go to Filipino people and they'll be like, <laughs> oh, you're white, you know, yeah. <laughs> like they won't think that I'm Filipino. So it's like, I never really fit into one category. And I'm just like ambiguous. Most mm. of the time, people mostly think I'm either Hawaiian or Mexican, which is mm -hmm. a common thing. Um, I've even gotten Middle Eastern in some oh, wow. points too. So um, yeah, so I don't really identify with any of it. I'm just like, mm -hmm. I'm just me. And that's just kind of who I am. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. funny. You mentioned I was, um, so I'm Vietnamese, I'm 100% Vietnamese, and I went on a backpacking trip uh, right after college. So I graduated college, I'm like, 
it's time to go on a, you know, like to go somewhere, you know, like completely different than, you know, America. So my parents were born in Vietnam. They escaped the Vietnam War. So I wow. decided to go on a three week backpacking trip to Vietnam and just kind of see my roots and my heritage because I've never, you know, I, up to that point, I've never, you know, been to Vietnam. So I started up north and I went through eight different cities, you know, for three weeks just with my backpack. And, um, but the point of the story is like, while I was there, I met a lot of travelers, you know, from other countries. And so like to them, they saw me, they thought I was like a Vietnamese from Vietnam, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but to the Vietnamese, they're like, oh, this guy's definitely a tourist. You know, he's definitely, you know, not one of us, you know, are like born here. So I could definitely feel, you know, at least empathize a little bit, um, you know, not belonging in either group and just being uh myself you know and like with the travelers i'd be like hey no i'm also a traveler you know <laughs> i'm not from here <laughs> and then uh, with the vietnamese people was like oh no my parents are from here you know <laughs> i'm <Yeah>. vietnamese too <laughs> that's so funny yeah the travelers are like asking you questions like how do i get here and right like, exactly oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just like do man <laughs> that's hilarious yeah definitely relate to that a lot uh, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, if if you don't mind, I would I would actually love to kind of dive into your your last job a little bit, the Happy Neighborhood Project, because um, I remember seeing that on LinkedIn and I was like, what is that? Like that is just that sounds like it's such an interesting name. And mm -hmm. I mean, you worked there for four and a half years, you said. Mm -hmm. So, um, what I guess a little bit about that company and a little bit about like why you wanted to work for them or why you felt like that was a, a good move for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I was still working at the Startup Accelerator when um, I was at a networking event and then I bumped into the founder of the Happy Neighborhood Project, uh, Edwin Atterbury, and he goes by the Chief Happiness Officer. So um, so that stood out to me immediately. I was like, huh, Chief Happy Happiness Officer, I've never heard of that. And I started to find out after talking to him that you know he did a TEDx on you know happiness um, as a default position and he shared his experience of why he started the Happy Neighborhood Project, how he was in Oakland, Jack London Square, and he was on a, I think on a train or a trolley or something. And then um, he was doing interviews you know, to people. He interviewed over a thousand people and just asking what does happiness mean to you, right? And so he came up to this guy, looked like he was in a bad mood, and he asked him, hey, what does happiness mean to you? And the guy's like, don't talk to me. I don't want to talk to you. And then he's like, why not? And then like the guy opened up and then um, and then they exchanged numbers. And then the next day he got a call from that guy saying, I was actually about on my way to commit suicide, but you stopped me and you brought happiness. And I started to see the importance of happiness. And so that life, that was very touching for me, you know, that story. And so I wanted to be a part of that vision. And so his vision is to really spread happiness in the world. So, um, and, and he wanted to do that through business, you know, so um, Happy Neighborhood Project at that time when I came in was, a, you know, we wanted to be a competitor to Yelp and really beat Yelp. And then over time, it's really transformed um, to something different because um, during the pandemic, you know, we just had to pivot. And so we pivoted into being a co-op, like a cooperative. Uh, so it's like a business co-op where, you know, we have members and like, Every you know quarter, we give dividends back to our members, you know, kind of thing. So it's just a cooperative of happy, positive business people, almost like a network of them. 
and just working together, you know, collaborating and supporting each other. Um, you know, and what's great is you have power in numbers. You can go to like big companies and negotiate discounts and say, hey, we have this big cooperative of business owners that were definitely willing to buy your product, but we want it at a discount, you know, so. So, yeah, that's um, that's what Happy Neighborhood Project is in a nutshell and just, you know, spreading happiness and positivity in the business world. Wow, that's beautiful. <laughs> I, I really love that. That's so interesting that it started off as a as a competitor to Yelp. <laughs> I feel like that's <laughs> definitely so different from, you know, how it is today. Um, yeah, and the thought process behind that was like, you know, he started to notice um, the founder, Edwin, he started to notice that like people were really unhappy, you know, with Yelp. A lot wow. of business owners were unhappy with Yelp. You know, people are going on Yelp, right. writing bad reviews when they never even used the service, you know, could be a competitor going to Yelp and writing bad reviews about people and people see that stuff. So yeah, people are just not happy and positive with the sort of review system. So mm. um, that's why he started that, you know, started that. But before that, he started a nonprofit um, spreading happiness all around the world, you know, called the I am happy project. So teaching people, you know, how to be happy and, and spreading positivity. So that was before the business. And then he saw an opportunity in the business space and decided to spread happiness in the business world. I love that. Yeah. Do you feel like that's kind of influenced you to now start Fongvo Media and to start going in your direction with entrepreneurship? Yeah, it's a good question. I've always felt like I wanted to, you know, positively impact people at scale. And so I always felt like I was meant to do something big for the world and positive impact, you know, the world. My um, my dad, you know, growing up, I was a Catholic, you know, I, my dad and my parents are still, you know, hardcore Catholics. So I went to church every Sunday. And, you know, one of the things that I've learned from, you know, Catholicism and also my that my dad instilling in me is like helping people and being there for people so that that's kind of built into me so um i went to college and i wanted to become a detective because i would watch all these csi crime shows with my mom i'm like oh these these detectives are helping families you know and i took a few <laughs> a few classes i'm like this is not for me like a lot of the people that they're putting in jail need help you know it's like why are we locking them up they need help so i'm like thought philosophies then align so i went um started studying social work because i'm like oh maybe i can be a social worker and help people with that you know need it need help and then i started to realize wait you're telling me if they came up with a policy that i don't agree with i would still have to enforce it as a social worker so i just didn't feel in control of that you know like what if i don't agree with a law or a rule that's actually not helping people it's hurting people mm-hmm. so then i bumped into business you know in college works painting and i realized that wait money rules the world whether we like it or not you know money influences what if we can use that money for good and influence um and use it for good and influence people positively so and with business i can control my rules you know but i can decide how i can use the money to impact people so and you know i feel like i have a pretty decent skill at it and um in entrepreneurship so so that's how i kind of got into Fongbo media is like let's start a business where I can eventually use it for good. And so one of my visions for the company is um, in 20, by 2026, I plan on starting um, almost like a nonprofit accelerator where we can take a nonprofit that's just doing okay. And we can use our marketing and our resources to grow the nonprofit, to build more exposure to it, you know, like 
help them get more volunteers, help them get more donations through marketing, you know, help them get grants from governments. And so just grow this nonprofit so that way they can impact, you know, positive impact more people. So by design, you know, we're, we're, I guess, indirectly, you know, helping, helping the world um, through our marketing services. Yeah, that that's amazing. I, I really love that because you're right. I mean, it's it's so hard for nonprofits to get visibility and a lot of their branding is just really off and it doesn't resonate with people. So and it, it it's challenging for those types of um, organizations to get funding and to mm-hmm. invest into some sort of services for marketing because marketing is very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's amazing. I, I really love that. And that's super exciting. Um, when did you get that vision? Was it when you were working at Happy Neighborhood Project or or mm-hmm. much earlier? Yeah, so I had a different, I guess I always have the big picture vision of impacting millions and billions of people. You know, that vision has never changed. Mm-hmm. Um, but the direction of how I'd be able to do that and what avenue I'd be able to do it through has definitely evolved and changed. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just just came to me like in college, I remember I wanted to, I think I ran across this like, it's a pizza, pizza shop. I, I, I forgot how I heard about it, but this, there's this pizza shop in I think either Philadelphia or somewhere where it's a social sort of impact business um, where you basically go in and you know they're making the pizza and you can buy the pizza for the person behind you right and so people kept doing that and you know basically to the point where homeless people can go in and if they're hungry they can go in and someone has already paid the meal for them and the people that you know you know donated the pizzas and paid for the next person there's also this wall of cards. And so people were writing these card letters to these homeless people, like words of inspiration, you know, like, hey, you can get through this, you know, like you can, you can do it. And so I thought that was super interesting. Like, wow, there, here's the guy that created this pizza shop for good, you know, and using business and money for good and helping people. So I, that started to like, give me ideas of how can I use business for good. And so you know, I guess it's developed over the years, but the idea came to me of, the, you know, the marketing company came to me um, while I was still at Happy Neighborhood, um, where, you know, I, I noticed marketing as a big issue for not only businesses, but also nonprofits as well. And so what if we can solve that biggest problem that they have first, which is the marketing um, to grow their nonprofit? So, uh, yeah, it's, it probably came to me like three years ago when I was still at Happy Neighborhood. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's cool that you've always had that vision to impact many people. Um, I don't think, I think people like some people are built with that instilled in them. And then some people kind of realize it. Like I'm one of those people who have realized later on, like, Oh yeah, you know, I really want to impact people. But, um, for somebody like you, who it sounds like that's kind of always been your, your end goal in a sense, it's just manifested different ways. Um, how have you, how have you learned how to, uh, reconcile the different directions you've been in because obviously you started off wanting to be a detective and Mm -hmm. you know you've ended up somewhere completely different and for some people I feel like that's kind of um scary in a way I feel like Mm -hmm. a lot of people have issues with like transitioning into different fields or changing Mm -hmm. majors a lot of times like like how 
what was that thought process like for you and how did you manage that? Yeah, so I feel like as a society, we really put pressure on young adults to have the answer. Like we need to know exactly what we need to do by 21. And I think that's doing a big disservice to young people, you know, because life is maybe that would have been important like a hundred years ago when you didn't really live that long. You know, you had to kind of figure it out because you'll be dead at like 40 or 50, you know? <laughs> so it's like, okay, I got to figure out what I need to do really quickly here. Um, but now, I mean, we're living to a hundred, we're going to be living to 150. So life is long, you know, and why add this, all this extra pressure on yourself to figure it out. And so I feel like, um, it's, it's just a journey. It's a process and it will take time. If you don't figure out what you want to do at 21, it's okay. You know, just be patient, continue to try different things. Just don't sit on the couch, you know, eating potato chips, like, you know, still go out there and like try different things, volunteer at different places. And then you start to see like, Oh, I kind of like that, you know, like, Oh, I feel like my skill sets would be good. And, you know, for this, and then you start to formulate, you know, um, you'll start to realize the things you don't like, like how I didn't like, you know, um, some of the policies with, you know, law enforcement and, you know, with social work. And then I kept trying different things and I bumped into business and then I realized I like it and I have a knack for it and the marketing, you know, and, and so, and even then, you know, like I don't see myself stopping here. Eventually I'll start different things that I might enjoy. Um, I kind of like to, uh, I kind of like different things. You know, I just don't like doing one thing over and over and over. I like to try different things and and uh, have different passions in mind. So yeah, just understand that the it's a process. It'll take time. Don't put all this pressure. And don't listen to all this pressure from society to figure out so quickly. Just be patient and continue to try different things until you find what you like. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I, the biggest thing I feel like you said was just taking steps, right? Yeah. You know, just consistently trying new things and taking a step in a direction, you know, it might not be the direction you end up in. But, you know, taking that step helps you learn what you like and what you don't like, which mm -hmm. I think is something that a lot of people tend to miss sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, now, did you ever face any sort of... Um, maybe external opposition or maybe internal too, where you felt like, oh, you know, am I changing directions too much? Or did you ever feel pressure to stay in a certain field for a certain amount of time? Like, you know, was there any pressures from maybe friends or family that kind of made it hard for you to move forward? Yeah, let's say, um, so fortunately I have great parents. Um, and by great, I mean, like, they didn't force me to do something. You know, I'm Asian, so, like, you know, the traditional, like, you need to be a doctor, you need to be a lawyer, right. you need to be, like, you know, one of those things. And I didn't get that from my parents. So, and I, I had some other Asian friends who got that from their parents. So I was, I was kind of grateful in that sense for my parents that pushed their um, thoughts and beliefs on me. And so they're, they were in the mindset of, hey, do, think, do something that you'll enjoy and you'll be happy with, you know, so really supportive parents. Um, I think for myself at that time when I was transitioning between different fields, I kind of felt lost. You know, I was like, huh, like, am I ever going to find this? At that time, it's like you're, you know, 20 years old, you know, you're 19 years old and you're like, am I changing? You know, should I just stick to something? Like I, I was kind of confused. I was lost. You know, I didn't know which direction life would take me and where I'd end up in. 
Um, but, you know, kind of going back to like doing different things and trying different things, it, it kind of fell on my lap, you know, business fell on my lap and it felt like the universe was telling me at that time, this is your path, you know, but that came from failures and that came from figuring out things I didn't like. And so you kind of create your own luck, you know, it kind of, I don't know if it was like fate, it kind of felt like fate at that time, you know, that, you know, I was meant to do this and it just felt right. And all the other things didn't feel right at the time. Mm-hmm. So just listening to your gut, um, having the intuition mm-hmm. to, you know, and, and also the confidence and the courage to say no to something that just doesn't feel right. Um, yeah. So like internally I was lost, but, um, eventually I found it, you know? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. What you said about, you know, listening to your gut, because I feel like we have a lot of doubts sometimes in our Mm -hmm. head that is telling us, you know, go the safe route or, you know, go the route that you, that looks like it's going to be successful. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, especially for entrepreneurship, it's very much, hit or miss, you know, you're going to fail a lot. It seems very up and down or unstable is what people like to say. Um, but you know, you had that gut feeling that, mm-hmm. that you chose to listen to, because we could either, either choose to listen to that gut feeling, or we can choose to listen to the voices in our heads. So, mm-hmm. uh, how, how did you, or even oh, on that thought on that, even the thoughts of listening to thoughts from other people that implants into your head, you know, like thoughts from parents, like if your parents have told you your whole life that you need to be a doctor or lawyer, or else you're not going to be successful, then like, it's hard to decipher, decipher if that voice is coming from you or your parents, you know, like you get kind of mix it up in your head. And so like, fortunately, I didn't have that from my parents. So it was only my thoughts, you know, and I could easily, I guess, more easily listen to my gut. But I mean, I'm totally empathetic for someone who might have parents that just push to try to shove something down their throats. And years later, you know, they do that. They pursue whatever their parents told them to do, and then they find themselves unhappy, and then they resent their parents. You know, they blame their parents. So um, but I'm totally empathetic to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about the research that you've done on longevity and mm you know, kind of your idea of happiness and, and has there been any research that you can't come across that um, emphasizes how happiness influences your length of life? Mm -hmm. So if um, I don't, uh, I don't do, I'm like not a numbers guy, although I'm Asian, I'm not like, you know, (laughs) good at math. Okay, everybody. (laughs) That's stereotypical here. Right. I'm terrible at math not good at science i i uh excelled at the arts like english and like um history you know that stuff psychology i like that stuff more but um i think the biggest thing is like decreasing stress you know like there's hierarchy of needs you know if you can get the stress out of people people's lives of like trying to survive whether it be financially figuring out when your next meal is you know like that's what you got to get sorted out first because that causes a lot of stress and stress is bad for you know longevity Mm -hmm. it can cause a lot of the you know things that people experience like strokes and you know um, heart disease and stuff and so much more um and then once you get out of that uh level that lower level of hierarchy of needs um then you can start focusing more on like happiness and like all the other high level stuff 
And so, yeah, like people that live, you know, are more happy tend to live longer, you know, and um, someone who is sad all the time or depressed, you do that for so long, you're only going to live so long before you start to get some, some diseases. So, um, so yeah, I think happiness is really important once it comes to longevity. And it's something that, um, you know, something you have to definitely work at, uh, you know, as we discussed in our last podcast. And there's so many different things that, you know, factor it within longevity, not only to just like physically, but mentally and emotionally. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, you, you kind of seem like to me, the type of person who follows their purpose. And, you know, since you go with like, kind of like the gut feeling, it sounds like you you might prioritize happiness in, in your workplace quite often. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I would say so. Um, yeah, yeah, I would definitely say so. I, I would definitely have to be doing something. Oh, that's a good observation. So, yeah, I I have to feel that what I'm doing is, is leading to something positive for the world and something I believe in. Like, I can't see myself being a banker on Wall Street, I, you know, like I'd be one day in and I'm out, you know, like, yeah, I, I couldn't see myself doing that. Um, I, I feel like what I'm doing is uh, has to be, you know, doing something for good and something that I feel good about. And so if I don't, then I, I probably wouldn't have chosen it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I think that's a, a huge thing is like, you know, what, what, do, what do you value and mm-hmm. how can you integrate that into your, your workplace, mm-hmm. which can be challenging if you have a job that doesn't really match that. Um, and it sounds like you've been, you know, you've been through a couple different, you know, career choices, um, mm-hmm. as most of us have. Um, but how did you start to prioritize your your joy and your happiness and purpose in, in your workplace? Um, having to pay the bills, right? Because <laughs> we all have to pay bills. Like, how did you start to um, navigate that for yourself? Yeah, so um, <laughs> that's a good question. I think it's definitely a balance, you know, of it's, it's definitely a balance. So like um, in my first job, you know, uh, when I was interviewing for jobs, uh, I had, it really came down to two choices. So either I would work for a corporate job where you know, I'd be making six figures, you know, pay was good and uh, pay would be super good, but it's more corporate And I felt like, you know, there's, you only hit a certain level, right? And then the other choice was to work with startup companies, like a startup accelerator, where you get paid a fraction of that, you know, maybe a quarter of that, and you barely kind of survive with the money that you you earn, but you'd be learning so much from startup companies. So I had to weigh that. And so, um, and so I decided to go down the startup route because I valued the learning more than, you know, the the money I would be making. And so it depends where you're at in life. You know, if you have kids and you have like high overhead and you have a mortgage to pay, then, I mean, I'm totally empathetic. Like you got to survive, you know, you got to choose a job that you could be, you know, you would be making a lot more money. And hopefully that job can be something that you enjoy and that you, you know, that, that you um, feel joy and fulfillment from. But if you're young and you don't have kids yet or you don't have a mortgage, you can live pretty cheaply, 
you know, and so I would tell people to just focus on figuring out, you know, um, the skills you want to learn and do jobs where you're learning more and valuing that versus money. But, um, but yeah, like I, I, I guess I value, I started noticing that, um, and realizing that right after college, you know, the importance of learning and developing yourself and fulfillment and happiness and purpose, um, versus money. And, and there's a balance If you need money, then definitely get it. But if you can find a way to do both, then even better. Yeah, definitely. Do you feel like your definition of happiness has changed over time at all? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it has. Um, I feel like it is still changing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, uh, happiness, um, I think happiness is one of those things where it's like, I feel like it needs to be taught in schools, weirdly enough, you know, like what if school can teach you how to be happy? You know, isn't that the meaning of life, you know, for a lot of people is happiness. And so why are we teaching it? You know, what yeah. are we teach? Why are we like teaching all these things that could eventually lead to happiness if you like find passion in it? What if we cut to the chase and get to, you know, like, hey, what is happiness? How can you be happy? And then we can layer everything else afterwards, you know, that'd be kind of cool. That would be cool. If you were to teach a class on happiness, what, what would be your <laughs> foundational principles, if any? I definitely wouldn't be teaching a class on happiness. Um, I'd have <laughs> the chief happiness officer do that, <laughs> leave that to him. But if I were to, um, I think there's so many different things. There's, uh, so this is what one thing I learned from Edwin, the chief happiness officer. So people see happiness as an emotion, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you, you feel it or you don't. And although that is true, one thing I've learned from him is that happiness is also a skill. Mm. So it's a skill that you can learn. Like if you told a depressed person that like, oh, just change your mindset, you know, that doesn't really help them because they're depressed. You know, they're in this mental state of mind. It's like they're in this feeling, right? But then if you tell them, hey, you're the press, but here are certain things that you can do to get out of that. And here are habits that you can build. Here's a skill. It's a skill. Happiness is a skill. You can actually get better at it. Then they start to feel excited and hopeful that, oh, I can get out of this. I can actually do something. What can I do? You know, they start to get more excited. So that's one thing I've learned from him that has really been, um, had, has had a, such a tremendous impact into me. It's kind of shifted my perspective of what is happiness to more of like it's a skill set that you can build on and anybody can be happy but you need to work at it you know so um so that's what i would probably be teaching the skill of happiness and and then like some of the things that you can do so um and one of the things that he taught and he actually t uh, taught classes on happiness you know happiness as a skill is one of his classes and so one of the things that he taught was um you know, the three, uh, three minute rule. So if something, let's say negative happens in your life and you just get angry or you, you know, makes you sad, you set a timer for three minutes and you express everything you need to feel. If you're angry, go punch, you know, the wall, go punch a punching bag, you know, express everything. Don't compress it. You know, definitely express it. If you're sad then cry it all out, but just three, three minutes. And after that, you gotta be your happy self again. You know, so that's one thing he taught 
is you, you shouldn't ignore your feelings. You should definitely feel them, but give yourself a time restraint. So that way you get out of your system and get back to happiness, you know? So that, I thought that was really unique. And he just shared so many things in his class, but um, yeah, I, I would be, to answer your question, I would be as, uh, teaching it as a skill. I love that. Yeah. I, it's, it's very important to know that happiness is not just a feeling. It is something that you can work at because you're right. If somebody doesn't know that they can grow in happiness, they're just going to feel like they are unhappy and it's like a, a dead end for them. Mm -hmm. Like this is just who I am and this is just what it is. And, you know, that's how it leads to suicide and to uh deeper depression, you know, that, that kind of situation. So I, I love that just being able to know and be aware that happiness is something that you can work at and improve at. It's mm. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's huge. And, um, I think most people kind of see happiness as an emotion. And so I think that's a disservice. And so that's why I was so drawn to Edwin too, is like, he's teaching it as a skill and that's definitely like a shift in the way that you think a huge paradigm shift of how you see happiness. Yeah, absolutely. And how, how do you like to integrate happiness into business? Because I think some people might have a stigma with business of like, oh, you know, it's all suits and ties. It's all it's all uh, work, 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 you know, that kind of thing. Like and which it can be, you know, in some situations. But how, how do you like to integrate joy and happiness into the work that you do at your company? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um one of the so i think the first thing is understand that like you're not going to enjoy everything that you do you know like there isn't a job out there where you're going to like every single thing like emails for example i don't know anybody that likes emails right but you kind of have to do it so understanding that aspect and then balancing it with things that you might be more naturally gifted or things that you actually like to do so you start to delegate, you know, things that you don't like, you know, for example, like I don't like certain aspects of my business. So I hire someone else to actually do the work, you know, and that's, I, that's what I've done. You know, I have a team of people that I can delegate things I don't like to them. And then which leaves you to, you know, uh, some tasks and responsibilities that you do enjoy, but you know, within that, there's still things that you won't like to do. So understanding that, that you can have some control over it, but also tr to understand that like successful people, they do things that they don't, other people don't like to do, you know? Um, so there's that aspect. And then trying to like tailor, uh, like for example, like I need to market my business. So what kind of marketing do I actually enjoy? So podcasting is a great way to market your business. Um, and I don't do it solely for just marketing purposes, I, I, um, but it is a great engine for marketing because people, you know, it builds brand awareness for me, Fongbo, and my company is called Fongbo Media, right? So they Google that. Um, but I also really enjoy talking to people. You know, I, I really enjoy interesting conversations with people. And so that sort of marketing form came natural to me versus doing something like a marketing channel that I just have zero interest in doing. So... Um, that's how I, you know, implemented it in my business, happiness in my business. 
I love that. Yeah, that's that's so true. We we we're not going to enjoy everything about the job that we do or even the business that we create because there's always going to be something that falls out of our wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that you said delegation. Delegation is huge. I need to work on that myself. <laughs> you know? um, but yeah, I think those are some great tips that that the listeners can use in their own job or in their own business if they have one. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I, I kind of want to wrap up since we're almost towards the end. Um, if you have any ad- advice, I know it's just blew by <laughs> like so fast. Um, if you have any advice for ambitious people out there who want to make like maybe they're not in the, their current ideal situation. Maybe they want to start a business or maybe they want to get a different job or they want to shoot for their stars in whatever field that they're in, but they're just not there yet. Or maybe they're at the beginning stages. Um, what advice would you give to, to those people? I would say to a couple of things. So number one is Going back to what I said earlier, don't put extra pressure on yourself to figure it out. That it's a process and be patient with yourself, forgive yourself, and that's a journey. So that's number one. Number two is to try different things. So if you're not entirely sure what you enjoy doing or what you're gonna be happy in, then try different things. Go out there and apply to a lot of jobs, apply to a lot of volunteer opportunities and make sure they're all different. You know, it's not all the same one. And then you can start eliminating off your list the things that you don't like, and then you start to get ideas of the things that you do like. And then eventually, I, I'm a big fan of like uh, working for people who are successful, like working for people that have a lot of wisdom and knowledge that have gone through a lot. And so what that does is you can avoid those mistakes because they're going to share with you things, mistakes that they've made in their lives, and you can learn from that and avoid them, right? So, you know, people call it mentorship or or something, but figuring out, once you identify what you want to do, figuring out who are those key people that are successful, that have done it before, and start shadowing them, start to learn from them. And so the skill and knowledge that they're going to give you is going to be far worth, far more than like how much money you're making, you know, because it, they could be showing you lessons that can make you millions. And, so, and if you, you know, work, if you shadow a billionaire, you know, like, they could be sharing you lessons that are making them billions, right? And so, um, and so that's what I would do, and like you know, step by step. Number one, um, to understand that it takes time and giving yourself that patience. Number two is figuring out what you like and don't like by you know just getting out there and doing things. And then number three is finding a mentor or finding someone that has done it before and uh, shadowing them. Love it. That was some great practical and tangible tips. Thanks, Fong. That's amazing. Um, now, where can the listeners find you? Tell us about that. Yeah, so they can find me um, on pretty much every social media platform that are big out there. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, what else is there? Twitter, um, YouTube. Just type in Fong Bo. Fong is spelled P as in Paul, H-O-N-G, and then V as in Victor, O, uh, Fong Bo. And then I also have a podcast show, The Fong Bo Show. <laughs> um, and uh, yes, I did go with it because it rhymes. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I thought it sounded cool. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where you can find me. 
Yeah. And I'll link all of that in the show notes. So that way you can find Fong. And then I'll also um, link the podcast that me and him did on the Fong Vo show. So I'll link that in the show notes as well. So check that out when you have a chance and um, engage with Fong on social media. He's very popular, especially on LinkedIn, I've seen. So <laughs> yeah, so go on there and engage with him. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Fong, for being yeah. a part of the show. Thank you for having me on, Kiani. Appreciate you. Yes. I appreciate you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>